Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of Outlaw Radio USA, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, the following program is produced by a true broadcasting genius, Magic Matt Allen, on the Outlaw Radio Network. By the way, uh, your mic is off, thank God. Oh, I am on. the legendary Burl Bear. It's true crime uncensored. And as always, we begin our program with technical difficulties. Not only that. No. Howard's microphone. He kept me off on purpose. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was an act of God. That, no, no. That was a mistake <laughs> because we got more Burl Bear, which we don't. Dan Zupanski never has these problems on his show. Yeah, because <laughs> he doesn't have me on his show. He counts his blessings. Dan, good to have you on the show. It has been years since you've been here. Absolutely. Good afternoon, Burl. Good afternoon, Howard. Thrilled to be on the program with you. And, thank you. And uh, hello, Mark, as well. Well, well thank you, sir. You're, you're pushing it when you say hi to Mark. Yeah, hey, uh, yeah you're pushing Howard, it just Howard, a little Howard. little bit there. <laughs> oh, hang on a second. I'm being, I'm being told to shut up by Mark. Yes, right. Okay, oh. so now what that means is the rest of the day into the next show. <laughs> I don't say You're it. finished. <laughs> he's all washed up oh, in this he's industry. Done. He's done. <laughs> so, so, Dan, uh, Winnipeg. Now, I don't want to, you know, you know do, uh, Canadian. You too much, but you're you're from Winnipeg, which I'm very familiar with, and and, and love being stuck at the corner of Portage and Maine in January. Yes, it's, it's delightful. It is. <laughs> it's a nice town. I gotta say, for those people who might be listening in, I'm I'm actually been here now for nine or ten months. Back where I originally have been from is Thunder Bay, Ontario. Home of Paul. Oh, home of great Paul it's 500 Schaefer. miles away, and it's warmer yeah. in the winter, believe me. Yes, it is. So, Paul, the home of Paul. pretty close to Duluth. So. Paul Schaefer uh, came from there. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Do they have Paul Schaefer days there? No, they don't. So that comes from, that and Dan, you know, that I, you know I spent a decade in that country. Uh, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, uh, Windsor, Detroit. But yeah, they would never let them stay one place very long. Well, because I was in radio, they kept <laughs> shooting at me. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. They did. We probably know many of the same people, but we're not going to do that now. No, I want to find out if it's if you've done any research, which I doubt, on whether in Canada they eat each other more often than they do in the United States. <laughs> Depends no. on what time of the night it is. No, they don't. I mean, even though Canadians compete, and that's really what we have here, one of these cases is somebody really, really, really trying to compete with his, his American heroes and role models again another similar to Sidney Tier he was a guy really really competitive with you know the big superstars of serial killing which of course you know that's America's Peru so yeah that's a strange thing you because you had that with uh, Tier House and uh, this thing with uh, we've talked about this before of, of celebrities in the realm of serial killers like role models strikes me as very peculiar. Now, let me go back on something, Dan. Do you, do you feel that Canadians overall, and not just in the, uh, the chopping up and eating people business, but Canadians <laughs> overall compete with Americans? In every, I mean, you, you haven't succeeded until you've been recognized by America. That's, That's right. That's the way you look at it in sport, in art. I mean, there might be some Canadiana, if you, you know, but, but really, in practical terms, in economic terms, in almost every term you could think of, success means American success. Yeah. Back in, back in the day when I was in the beginning of the comedy business in Canada, and uh, Howie Mandel was breaking, and Jim Carrey was breaking, but no big deal until they came to the United States, and then they were holding parades for these guys. And the jokes didn't change, by the way. It was no, just... we're so influenced by American culture that we... You know, as much as we say that we have this unique identity, and of course everybody's unique, every state is unique, every city is unique, but in real terms, I mean, they put Canadian content, that pretty well has to compete with American content anyway, one way or another, and so we uh, absorb, digest, learn about, are fascinated about almost the same things as America is fascinated by, the same kinds of stories, the same kind of sports heroes, same kinds of stories. But, yeah, the, but, you know, I could line up ten rolled scholars down here, 
and ask him who is the former Prime Minister of Canada. I could actually ask him who's the current Prime Minister of Canada and probably still come up with the same answer. Trudeau. Trudeau. No. <laughs> Trudeau. Well, you guys know Trudeau and because of his legacy. But who was before him? And that's a year ago. You see, you can't tell me. Stephen Harper. But, but, we but, don't care. Well, that's it. Uh, Matt yelling out, we don't care. But, but we we should care. We don't care. Canadians, care? Canadians can name everybody in the House of Representatives. We can. <laughs> no, don't, care. Just, don't give us that much credit, because the thing is, we don't know anything about Mexico or Norway either. No, you just and... you just give a damn about competing with the United States. So that's why that's I want to get back to this guy, the, the, the fellow you're going to talk about. Who was he competing with when he committed his horrid crime? Not Tierhouse, but the other guy? Luca Magnotta went to such lengths that the lengths that he went to uh, ensured that he would have the kind of fame. I mean, some people might have had uh, spur of the moment. Um, Sidney Tierhouse certainly didn't plan. I, don't, I, I couldn't see how he could have planned something that happened that day. But Luca Magnotta went online, created numerous, hundreds or dozens, we'll say at least, very a lot of personas, personalities characters on Facebook. Then he started coming up with rumors. So he was a dancer, he was a, an escort, he was a prost was uh, right from 12, 14 years ago diagnosed as schizophrenic, clearly mentally ill. Yeah, and he went online and, and used social media to create this menacing character at first and then post videos online when that was a big thing. He was ahead of the times or current with the times. He was torturing and killing kittens. So he got people's attention, and that's what he was looking for was attention. And then the gruesome murder, sending body parts to government officials in an elementary school, videotaping the entire thing, setting it to music, and doing everything to make sure that not only did he, could he say that he'd be accused of necrophilia, but cannibalism, and videotaping, and posting. So a lot of firsts, did a you lot say, of precedents. Did, did you say but cannibalism? Oh, uh, so no, sorry, Mister. Yeah, he did. Uh, so, I mean, this was like a plan, like a career path, like where someone wants notoriety, kind of like a flesh-eating Paula Abdul. Exactly, and I think really because we have papers, uh, certain tabloid-esque paper papers that even if you were in prison, you'd be reading these. And I think Sidney Tierhouse got a lot of attention. The guy from Edmonton, um, Mark Twitchell, that that was uh, subject of a two-hour Dateline special where he, vid he lured somebody to a garage to videotape it, and, of course, he had this serial killer diaries. Again, a really good blueprint of what he was going to do, what he did, and why he wanted to do it. So I think these people are influenced each time by, geez, well, that guy got a lot of attention. That's a good idea. And so there's always somebody in the serial killing world, in the murdering world, that's an influence. Look, whether it's mass shootings, terroristic strikes, there's always somebody that's an influence on someone else. By the way, Burl, yeah. the difference between him and Paul Abdul yeah. is it, they celebrate this guy. <laughs> between him and Paul Abdul. Yeah, they, don't, so they won't celebrate Paul. No. Anyway, that goes back to another story and another show. Thank you for in, indulging. Yes. But you can't bring up Paul Abdul's name without me going somewhere. Yeah, the door is right open. So this guy is heavily influenced by, shall we say, American killer culture. He wants to be famous. He wants to... So, I mean, he goes at this kind of like an entertainment manager would. Yeah, there you go. You wouldn't, you wouldn't put him in the Dahmer category? Well, the thing is, is there's differences. I mean, obviously, uh, they still share the one characteristic in that you may have a different idea than Burl, and Burl may have a slightly different idea than, than I yeah, in what we would want to experience, whether it's a fast motorcycle ride or bungee jumping or talking to serial killers. So... There's a difference in what people would would chalk up as an experience. When I was a star witness for the prosecution, I thought, what a fascinating experience. But it's not for everybody. No. These guys, the same thing. They want to experience not only the fame, but also more so, as, as Burrow can tell you about uh, Sydney, they really, really, I think, enjoyed what they're doing, that experience, that taboo, you know, I mean, the biggest taboo on earth since the beginning of time, and yet these people will gladly make that transgression as an experience. But what can they do after that? Once they've done that, there's no place to go. Uh, jail. Jail, De yeah. Death. 
Um, I, I picked up two right there. Yeah. Um, hey, help me out, Dan. There was, I was making me crazy, very famous murder case out of Ontario. Uh, Bernardo, is that, do I have that right? And for what reason could the Canadian press not cover that? Well, they did cover, (coughs) pardon me, they did cover it. But what they do is they, again, they have, the Canadian judicial system has transformed into a system that looks completely, and I mean completely in so many areas and facets completely different than the U.S. judicial system. And we're talking fundamentally. We're talking in almost every way. So the uh, the thing was with what people got to remember is it was overshadowed by the incredible influence and the media attention of the O.J. Simpson trial. It was at the same time. So unfortunately, the media, the world media was there ready in in Toronto to report but we don't have cameras in the courtroom allowed and the the judge felt it was necessary to not have a courtroom of public opinion and so they felt that uh, there should be a, a media ban the names of the victims and a lot of details but I think more so than anything else according to Stephen Williams the author of the two books Invisible Darkness and Carla he said that it was mostly in terms of that everybody's attention really was rightfully focused on O.J. Simpson. By the way, I don't know if you've talked to Burl about this, but he's, he, you know, he'll tell you that O.J. was innocent. Not a joke, by the way. It's, it's, it's the bane of our existence. <laughs> well, the thing is, I, just, I, I heard your incredible program with Stephen Singular, and Stephen Singular is going to come on the program August 3rd, and compelling argument for O.J. Simpson's innocence. Or at least, at least good reasons why he was found on Yeah, guilty. except guess what? Wrong. <laughs> okay? Wrong. Stephen Singular can show up, and I think he's a bright guy, and I really enjoy talking with him, and he's a friend of mine. But wrong. Burl Bear, bright guy. Well, let's not Well, no, it's, it isn't that Singular says that O.J.'s innocent. He says that these were reasons why the jury found right. him not guilty. That, that, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, it's, the, I think one the, of the jury members went on record after the trial and said, the reason why I voted not guilty, the reason why I voted innocent, yeah, is thinking. to give it to the man for all the crap we've gone through. Uh, gee, that's one out of he, 12, huh? Right, that's all you need. <laughs> that's all you need there, Burl. Do the math. On record. So, man, are he you saying... Said, hang on a second. Uh, one second, Dan. Yeah. Are you yeah. saying that O.J.'s innocent? Of course I am. No. Okay, just checking. <laughs> all right. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, no, I, I think what Stephen said, though, is he, and again, this wasn't his, this would make it his conclusion, but he said he didn't think O.J. had enough time. So when you talk like that, it, it would intimate to me that he would think still overall, despite everything, that O.J. is innocent. Now, again, it's always a compelling argument, and we know in true crime that the more you, the more you know, the more you have to ask more questions, and the more questions there are. So. Dan, Dan, have you ever seen OJ run through an airport? Come on, that guy's swift. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. jump over suitcases. Yes, there's that. More time. That is proof. Yeah. I drive real fast. Don't to go. <laughs> yeah, there's that one. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm curious. Oh, look, this is Mark C.G. Boyer has a question for you, Dan Zipanski. I'm, I'm curious as to why, if he, if he was searching for this attention and this notoriety that he would he would um, evade uh, capture he went to another country uh, uh, Mark yeah did you notice that we were talking about something else no no he's bringing it back to I know the he is but, but we're not done with the something else yes we are okay. go ahead Dan you go can ahead. answer uh, his question answer his question well, I mean, it's just part of the story. If you think, if you were writing a fictional story and a, and a guy that, whether he's a serial, say he was a serial killer, and then he just posted a video of what he did, including cannibalism and necrophilia, and, and they found a suitcase with the guy dismembered, and now they know he's on the run uh, with these, uh, he's got phony ID, and, and maybe he's a makeup guy, you know, a master of disguise, basically he thinks he is, so he's gone to Paris and then to Berlin, so there, there's a manhunt for him, in which there certainly was. Uh, then they found him 
looking at himself basically online at an internet cafe looking at what was going on concerning him so it was fitting so why would he do that well it's just a better narrative yeah much better yeah it makes it more exciting there's a chase there's all this great stuff gives him more uh uh you know more screen time romance he he met with somebody that while he was on the run he met with a person that was oblivious that he was on the run they didn't have sex but it was romantic. What is short, short teeth marks or something? I'm not sure. Not sure. <laughs> it was romantic. They spent, a, they spent a nice evening in Paris, I guess. It's probably hard to not have a nice evening in Paris. But uh, not with him. That would be the proof, I think. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, to give us to give the audience the backstory. Uh, aside from the fact this guy wanted fame and and all this stuff, uh, what exactly did he do to achieve this? Well, what he did is, like you say, he went on the run, and once they discovered the body dismembered, uh, once the video, there was people online that said, is this real? And then they soon deduced that, yes, this was real. Of course, then they went to the person that posted, I think it was uh, one of the Gore sites, and so the hunt was on. There was already people looking for him because they recognized it was the same person, the cat, the cat killer, the kitten killer. And so authorities soon were on the trail of this guy and then tracked him down and, and got him back from uh, Berlin. And, and then, you know, he didn't uh, argue extradition, and he came back and no confession, but soon after had a trial, and I mean within soon in Canadian terms. But really what he, he had done is that before he left for Paris, he had sent body parts to the conservative government. I'm not sure what statement he was saying there. And an elementary school just for shock value. Yeah, that so, shock value works. So, does is he a celebrity now in his own realm? You know, I, I you, you just don't really know because, believe it or not, the true crime state in Canada, in terms of true crime reporting, which means that there there's an interest, and then somebody then wants to possibly write a book and then read a book about it. There are no books about Luca Magnotta case or the. Greyhound bus cannibal killer. That's really the, strange. I mean, in America, you'd have a, a quick and dirty out within 30 days, and then a couple years later, you'd have a real one. And there is an interest. I mean, it's just not like there are no Canadian fans of true crime podcasting, documentary. We There's people glued to investigation discovery like everybody else. They're seeing you on there all the time. I mean, so there's an appetite for it, but the media thinks that we're too evolved here. You know, we just had... Uh, a re a re uh, rebroadcast of the ten hour O J Simpson documentary, uh, the which, ESPN included, documentary? which included the almost decapitated head of Anna Nicole Sims uh, Anna Nicole it was, Brown it, Simpson. It, it was quite well and, done, and, which we would never show a crime scene photo ever. And it was ten hours in a week. We don't do ten hours on Picton or Bernardo or all of them put together. So, how are the ratings up there? Because we we had it ran down here at the same time. The ratings were probably really good. Otherwise, they just wouldn't have ran it. I mean, because I think it's coinciding or, or capitalizing on the OJ movie on A and E. Right. Yeah, they both ran. The OJ movie ran first, and then a few weeks later, they they started the doc. So are you, are you, I know you got a book coming out in a couple of years. Are you doing a one on on either one of these cases? What I'm doing is I think they don't warrant, because I won't get any information, The basically when you read my story about the Greyhound bus cannibal, I, I, you know, you couldn't even pad this thing to turn it into a real book. And it's it's a, not a short story, but it's a shorter book. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I would, I'd like to just keep it as an audio book and then uh, I guess maybe, because again, it's really short, so I would have to put it in some kind of other form if I was going to put it out as a book. I wouldn't want to really release a 100-page book. So. Is that because you don't uh, like typing? But I think it's an audio like book. Some of these... <laughs> Pardon me? I just I was thinking you just didn't like typing. That's true, too. Yeah. Not, okay. uh, We're going to take a 60-second break to clean up the blood. We'll be right back with Dan Zapansky on True Crime Uncensored. And if you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. 
Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com. The smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know the demons of decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. See that, Mike? You stay on script. Hi, I am the legendary Burl Bear, raised on records, born to rock and roll. Also, in my spare time, I write true crime books. Just had uh, one re-release for the actually for the first time on ebook, Murder in the Family, a story of Kirby D. Anthony from Idaho who uh, goes to Alaska where he proceeds to rape and murder his own aunt and her two little kids. Not a healthy individual. It is my first, I won't say only, my first New York Times bestseller from uh, actually uh, 16 years ago, but for the first time it's available on an ebook from Wild Blue Press. Also, it's an audio book from listenupaudiobooks.com, uh, and uh, you can get the paperback from Kensington Publishing, as you could always before. Also, uh, Taste for Murder, which I wrote with Frank C. Gerardo Jr., and was a uh, one-hour TV special on Investigation Discovery, is available in all those same exciting formats, and you can buy them uh, wherever you like. You can even buy them in a hardware store if they bother to sell them. Which they don't. <laughs> but go in there and ask anyway, just to help to promote the book. And do I care if you really read it? Well, if you're illiterate, don't even try. But otherwise, go for it. What the hell are you talking about? Back to <laughs> true crime, uncensored. Yeah, I've heard of it. Dan Zapansky's our guest today. Very famous fellow. He's a journalist. With Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. And uh, Dan also wrote one of the uh, greatest uh, classic true crime books, uh, the show we dance murders trophy kill what featuring mark cg boyer i hope people can still buy that book they can still buy trophy kill can't they dan absolutely absolutely it's one of the most shocking books i've ever read is that well, true? thank you burl yes absolutely and uh, dan hang on a sec really yes really you should go back and listen to the show when dan was on this is back when the late great don woldman bless his heart was a co-host, and I, I came in late because I got stuck in traffic, and I, I come in, and Don's jaw is, is resting on the table, and the uh, uh, Matt, the engineer, he's, he's looking stunned like he's been in there with a brick. I go, what the hell is going on here? And I join in, and I'm listening, and then I'm the same way. It was the most compelling and shocking true crime show one of the, the, the I think one we ever had. So the book is still, I can go on Amazon and get the book. Oh, yeah, it's called Trophy yeah. Kill, the show we so dance So I have to pay for it, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you got to buy it. Oh. <laughs> That's I'll happen. send you a copy, Howard. I'll send you a copy, Howard. Well, hear Did that? you hear that? Wow. Boy. Whoa. Hey, that's a blessing to be in the radio. It's like getting free VHS up, tapes. Hang on, hang on. I was not setting up to do that. I, 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 oh, I'd I almost prefer to happy to, Howard. But thank you. happy, Howard. Well, I'll, I'll drop, ship him your address. Anyway, it's a great book. I suggest you all run out and buy it immediately. But uh, what is the, the one you're, you're working on? Well, it's a cold case that happened in Thunder Bay that really affected me very much like a lot of true crime authors uh, that I've interviewed, even yourself. There's things that happen early on that don't necessarily mean you're going to be a true crime writer, but affect you and uh, stay with you. And this case has happened when I was uh, 24 years old, and it's still a cold case. Uh, the, the, it, but the person that murdered this person is well known. It's that somebody dropped the ball, and so I've come here looked into the investigation, talked to the uh, victim's father, talked to suspects that were, were uh, interviewed at the time and interviewed now recently, and from the connections I have from living here uh, for 30 years, um, I'm making a lot of headway. So it's an it's a incredible case of a lot of people drop the ball and how hard it is to convict of murder regardless of who you think it is. But it is uh um, no, the person you think it is still alive no this this person was brutally murdered um and it was uh, again one of those display murders, dismemberment uh defiling of the body uh, held hostage for a month Oof. maybe even some there is some and, talk and, of satanism, so and that was the person that was well known or the person that did it was was well known. The person was well known afterwards. In fact, his nickname afterwards was Killer. Oh. But people thought that because he was this, he was an epileptic guy, and he, I guess people had seen him in an epileptic fit, and they just didn't seem to think he had a 
the kind of nature that he could kill someone. When you, when and as we know, lots that, of times you can't tell by how they look. So. And when you say well-known, well-known there or well-known outside of there or regionally known or nationally known? Or, uh, what are we talking Not about? nationally known because the story did not make it to trial. What happened is that we have a... Uh, you would probably have it in America, too. You would have what would be called an, uh, an inquest. And an inquest would be if used primarily for if somebody were to, to die on a workplace. So they would have an investigation on how it was that this person was killed on the workplace, and they would make recommendations so that this sort of thing wouldn't happen again. It wouldn't have any legal binding to it. it wasn't a, it's not a civil court, and it's not a legal court with legal with those kinds of rules of cross-examination or, you know, a person couldn't be compelled to testify. So if it had no legal standing, then it would have no legal merit. And to take an open and murder investigation is what happened in this case, an open and murder investigation by on the urging of the parent who just was frustrated with the lack of any answers whatsoever after this incredible traumatic event in their lives, their 17-year-old son missing for a month and then found defiled and and murdered uh, so the, an inquest was not the right legal device whatsoever so that's especially a drop ball in that regard but then we have DNA we gotta think in 1984 when this occurred their DNA was in its infancy but right. 2000, 2005 they opened up the case again in 2011 with some kind of promise, well, if it isn't DNA, then what could you be, how could you be solving anything without DNA these days, so? They just let the thing slide? Well, I'm not completed the investigation, and you can see that, you know, the police aren't going to be cooperating too much, regardless of my connections here. This is a story that the city doesn't want to know. The story I was involved with in Winnipeg, Winnipeg doesn't want to promote that story about itself. They would rather you not know about some of the stories where somebody failed that's not uncommon anywhere though dan that's true it's true it's just that canadians just take take themselves too seriously oh well was i just kidding i was just kidding i was just kidding you know i i still carry my social insurance card yeah. well, hey, he gets his check every month i do i, I right actually on. do yeah he's entitled to it i, I paid it yeah, didn't pay his license tabs though Actually, you can tell the, uh, yeah, the the federal government I did not pay my last year taxes in Canada. We don't care. No, I know. But they didn't, We're by the way. They, felt like they tracked me down. I said, I'm not going to do it. And they said, why? I said, well, because I went home to the United States, and they hung up. There you go. There that, you that, that, that's your crack system of uh, track there. <laughs> oh, it's oh, crack, mind. all right. <laughs> hey, let's if you're a career to... criminal, you got, if you've got designs on being ideas about a career criminal, yeah. I don't want to act like a promotional, uh, you know, division <laughs> of the government, but this is the place you ought to be. So oh, I, I happen to know that, uh, and I'm, I, this a story not for this show, but I, uh, I was accused of paying a band of note with uh, 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 American cash, and they said it was um, counterfeit. Uh-huh. and that was on a Friday night. And there was not, I, and I said, just call the cops, go ahead. Because I, I just I stick with the Bank of Montreal that afternoon myself. Call the cops. So they called the Ottawa police, who said, call the OPP, who said, call the feds, who said, call the Ottawa police. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, I should have gotten the counterfeit. These people don't care. And, and honestly, it, 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 it ended there. Well, that's sadly yeah. reminiscent of the, the case in, uh, up in Vancouver with the guy with the hog farm where mm-hmm. they, they knew he was killing people, but they just didn't really have the resources or the training to deal with it. And it was just hookers. They wanted the hookers killed in Vancouver. That was uh, unfortunate because I ended up doing some movies there. Yeah, and it was... Always nice to have them around. Yeah. Not that I would partake, but just well, have the them. hookers or the no police? Them. Well, there were no police. <laughs> okay. Let's get back... Unbelievably, in that case, what they did is that they only had a woman come forward to say, listen, I went to the, to the garage, and he had a woman up on a meat hook. But if you say, well, because she does drugs, because she is a, could be a prostitute, if you don't, can't get a warrant, won't get a warrant, or won't believe that woman because of that, 
that's a sad commentary. You know, yeah. that's a sad and that was the case. Well, should we tell the audience once again we're talking? Our guest is uh, Dan Zipansky, world famous podcaster of True Murder and journalist, mm-hmm. and one of the great interviewers of all time. And I, I'm going to be on his show again real soon. I think we're uh, recording it uh, this coming Friday. And I refuse Absolutely. to do a show. <laughs> yes, I'm going to fact check. Yeah, you get you a can, fact you check. Can, yeah, you can do that all you want, but I won't do the show. No, because you talk about Paul Abdul. My and they don't people even... have advised me not to do that show. <laughs> you have people, Howard? I do. I do. It's a actually. career killer, really. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. We, uh, we, we, do, do any of your guests get death threats? We've had, I think, three or four of our guests have received death threats, warning really? them that if they come on the show, they'll be killed. Uh, we haven't I, had any of them how killed do I not yet. Know this? Did you know that? No. How do I not? How am I doing this show with death threats going? On? Well, I think maybe it was before your time, Howard. Only well, killed careers. That's right. Only killed careers. <laughs> But uh, uh, Vegas Ragdoll, uh, she was she received death threats prior to coming on. Uh, um, break shot, guy who wrote the book Break Shot. I, I, we're here to talk to Dan. Yeah, well, I but, have uh, to ask you, bro. Yeah. Uh, uh, what? What? Who? Why did they threaten the lives of these guests? Uh, because they they didn't want their reputations ruined when she revealed that they were murderers. I guess. <laughs> uh, we have to take a sixty second break. I guess we're taking a 60-second break on True Crime Uncensored with guest Dan Zapansky. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Frank Hagen, the gay guy from Outlaw Radio. If you own a cell phone, and I know you do because you probably got Grinder on there, but it's time for you to add another app. That app would be for Outlaw Radio through the courtesy of RadioLoyalty.com. My suggestion is that you upload that app for free, mind you. Yes, totally free app. In order to be able to listen to us, the Demons of Decadence, every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 6 Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time. And you'll have the opportunity to listen to us smoke, drink, and interrupt each other, which we do a really good job of doing. So once again, RadioLoyalty.com to pick up your free app of Outlaw Radio. Once again, this is Frank. So get off a grinder and get on to Outlaw. Nice. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the mic. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, moms and dad, boys and girls, kids of all ages. Welcome back to True Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear. That's Howard Lapidus, fact checker Mark Boyer, special guest Dan Zapansky. And Mark C.G. Boyer is hysterically laughing over in the corner just as if he'd ice-picked somebody. What is it? Mark. We have a uh, listener. Uh, One, at least. To this show and to the show that follows Outlaw Radio. Uh, from uh, the Pacific Northwest. We only know him as 503. And he uh, sent Uh-oh. a note that says, uh, Dear Howard and Burl, you are failing. Sincerely, the audience. <laughs> God, it figures. Dan probably typed that during oh, the break. Very funny. He no. told. <laughs> the man will not type. Hey, let's uh, let's get back to the guy on the bus. I don't mean Ralph Cramden. Uh, that's one of the most horrifying stories. Absolutely. In the history of the planet. For those who don't know, Dan, will you give him the backstory on the back of the bus? Yeah, there was a, a young gentleman uh, named Tim McLean, and he had gone out to do. He was a circus worker, uh, carnival worker, and he went out west and. Just as he got out there, I guess he, he changed his mind, called his dad, said, I'm coming back. And uh, at the same time as this was going on, uh, this Vincent Lee got off his bus in this place called Erickson, Manitoba, uh, sold a bunch of his stuff, sat on this bench. Even though it wasn't his stop, the bus driver said, what are you doing? He said, no, no, he's Chinese originally. he just come from China. And uh, an older gentleman, and he, again, uh, sat on this bench for 24 hours, sold most of his possessions, including his computer, then got back onto the bus. Um, he was sitting alone, not anywhere near Tim McLean. Uh, I guess they got out for a smoke break at some point near Winnipeg, Portage La Prairie. And for some reason, and again, as is customary if you've been on Greyhound buses, people changing seats, it's not unusual for somebody just to sit beside you. You wouldn't question it. Uh, Tim McLean had his headphones on, listening to music. Uh, was just 
not that much more time to get into Winnipeg and see his uh, stepdad and his family. And Vincent Lee, I guess everybody was settling down, you know, maybe listening to or looking at their phones, and uh, it was pretty quiet on the bus. Then they heard a scream, and I guess he was one on the middle of the bus, but Vincent Lee had a huge knife, a huge butcher knife, and he was stabbing uh, Tim McLean. And so the people that were behind got around uh, Vincent Lee in, that, in, in the aisle, uh, and ran off that bus. Did the no bus driver to tried yelling at him to, to stop, but Vincent Lee continued to stab this Tim McLean to death in front of the uh, the bus driver, at least. So he didn't just stop by stabbing him, did he? Well, he was he was defiling his body. He was cutting off parts of of the body, and there was a. Another bus driver, another backup, a Greyhound bus driver came, and he noticed that something was amiss because they're on the side of the road. They barricaded uh, Vincent Lee in the bus as he was trying to escape, but by that time he had severed the head of Tim McLean, shook it at them. He had taken the eyes, removed the eyes of Tim McLean, uh, other body parts, including part of the heart, uh, anyway, he was held up on this bus. No one shot him. The police didn't shoot him. The passengers were out of the bus, of course, screaming and being sick. And Vincent Lee just kept to kept defiling his body, cutting off pieces with a scissor and a knife. And then in front of the police officers, he was eating part of the, the victim, Tim McLean. This guy sounds disturbed. It's oh, he's obviously mentally ill. He, he finally... Uh, tried to jump out of the bus they grabbed him and but right from the very beginning he says i'm guilty please kill me so Soon he enough, had a shred he was, of sanity in there somewhere where was, he knew what he was doing was bad was this guy going for suicide by cop and that was it no 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 uh it was it was an odd situation too i think that uh, you know, I mean, if you were to not drop a weapon in this country, I think it's a three warning and, and they shoot to kill. So this person obviously had a weapon, but the, the, the person that he was attacking was dead. So I guess it put them in a, a, a certain situation, and I guess the orders from on high were to just contain him. He was put in a hospital and uh, immediately assessed as a obviously paranoid schizophrenic. He appeared in court and made a comment like, Please kill me. Uh, you know, so I don't know what that proves in terms of how lucid he was, but soon after, in this country, we have a completely different idea about insanity compared to America and a, and a, and a track record and history in the courts. But in this case, as I think people will see, history will prove me right in that this was a pivotal point in Canadian history on what happened and how they were treated, how he was treated by the courts. Both the Crown Attorney and the uh, defense agreed. There was no argument whatsoever that this this man was insane and should not be treated for, or would not be charged for any kind of murder whatsoever. So there was no challenge in that respect. They both agreed, worked in cooperation to present to the judge that this person should not be charged for any kind of murder and it was an insanity where, where was it where was where did, where did the uh, proceedings take place winnipeg in winnipeg yeah so what is he in a mental institution for the rest of his life is that the idea well you would think you would think that's what we, you know in canada we're very humane we're not going to treat somebody who's insane and who commits a even though it's a heinous murder we'd have to treat it like other murders where people are clearly you know, decidedly insane. However, it seemed almost immediately, it seemed almost immediately that it looked like the psychiatric industry in Canada. I guess we've just been fed this thing that our system is more evolved and that we don't treat people. Honestly, this is the way Canadians talk and, and what we get sort of intimated in our documentaries like, you know, the Canadian government's uh, television network in that we are more evolved we're less we look at mandatory minimums i just saw something the other day 55 years for a guy that sold some pot we think that's atrocious we think that executions are wrong we've banned executions but we've also got to the point where we don't have 
um, life without the possibility of parole. We just enacted three years ago something that if you were a serial killer, you could actually get consecutive sentences. Did, did I miss, so in did terms I miss of the, Dan, did I miss the answer to the question? I'm getting into it right now, oh, Howard. Okay. What right, I'm saying sorry, is sorry. that, yeah, the insanity is that we think that with drugs, regardless of what you have done, that inevitably you can be rehabilitated and released back into the community. But in this particular case, it looked like they were taking this very, very incredibly unprecedented, extreme example of what somebody can do while they were paranoid schizophrenic and then use that as sort of a, a project to show that even though this guy committed a crime that no one else on earth had ever even thought of, that he too could be rehabilitated and in quick order. Well, how long has he been in, in treatment now? He was charged in 2010, and he was released last summer, given a name change, and has a support system to ensure that he takes his medication. He'll be, he liked computers and was a computer engineer in China, so he'll be retrained. It lives in a group home under a new name, May, so I, may, may I interject here? Mm -hmm. Are you guys nuts? And Maybe I, not. I mean that, and I mean that. How how do you feel about that? That this guy is back. This guy, stir fry boy, uh, stir fry boy, yeah. cuts this guy to shreds on a greyhound bus, and he is processed quickly um, uh, medically and then deemed to be okay to go back into society, and then the government spends money to change his name and place him back into society, and he's out there today. Probably no shortage of knives where he is. The thing is, is that if we were to pay attention, you know, Canadians say, well, the American system is, we don't like these aspects of it, but the part of it that they should really respect is that the respect they give towards the victims. Not that you can do anything or bring anything back or a trial or an execution does really anything for you, but if it does do something for you, then you at least you get it. And at least there is some attention that what do the victims have to say. Now, in this particular case, the mother of this boy fought and spent her money and, and took her time, and uh, you can't even imagine the horror and then the, the campaign to have this person that was convicted of this killing, who was deemed not criminally responsible, that he spend the rest of his life in a mental institution. And the, the media, now again, groomed for 20 or 25 years of delusion, that somehow or other that that's okay and that she's deluded. She's just being vengeful, thinking that maybe, just oh maybe, He's so dangerous that he shouldn't get out in six years, let alone any amount of years. Am, so they am, think that she doesn't understand. Am I reading you wrong, but it sounds to me like you disagree. <laughs> well, I disagree with ever letting him out, because if, if, if he can get out, then why is anybody in a mental institution at all? That's, that's right. If the drug works so fantastic. And again, I did the research on antipsychotic drugs. There's a new class of them. But if they did anything at all, you'd empty out the hospitals en masse. If you can't cure depression, how can you cure something that you don't even, you can barely even describe? There must have been enough shred of sanity in this guy where he's going, kill me, oh, kill me, on. kill me. He I must am... have had some degree, obviously a degree of awareness of what a horrible thing he had done. He but, must have been miserable. Dan, I'm in shock, I re and I mean that. I have never heard of anything so ridiculous in my life when it comes to this. I hear well, ridiculous stuff every day, but when it comes to this... The thing is, what happened is, what I predicted is that a lawyer doing the best job for his client that doesn't care really what the truth is, or doesn't really care if his client's guilty or not, right. is going to do the best thing for him. Yes. Taxpayer-paid lawyer. You get to pick the best lawyer that you can find. If he's interested in your case and there's enough money involved, paid by the government, he'll do it. Different dynamic than the U.S. You don't get to assign some guy that's inexperienced. Right. So... That's Somebody good, does this. Part. There's a guy in Montreal a couple of years later 
that because he's split up from his wife, she's having an affair with their personal trainer. There, she says to him just the night before, "Listen, I'm going to change. I'll change the locks. We'll move wherever we want. You know, listen, don't don't push it." Because he had come to the house unannounced, punched the guy in the face. He said, "You want a war? You're going to have it." And the next night, he stabbed his four-year-old and six-year-old 29 times, drank some window wiper washer fluid in a, a lame attempt to commit suicide, did a lame attempt on the Internet to show that he was looking how to kill himself. They deemed him insane. He did six months. Within a month, they were making sure that he had bicycle rides and sleepovers at his relatives. And in six months, he was released. And then, may, may, may I quickly make an announcement uh, to all of those people that are considering moving to Canada if Donald Trump is elected? Take note. <laughs> yeah. Take note. That, it's crazy. Well, uh, what happened after the guy got out? He's out. Did he kill anybody? Well, no, what happened is, his, luckily, fortunately, his wife, the mother of the children, happens to also be a doctor. He was a cardiologist. And so she was also a doctor, and there was outrage. Not in the whole country, just in that one province, just like the similar one little, you know, the Quebec province, there was outrage. But because it's a doctor's wife, I think it, it wielded some more power, and there was a retrial, and lo and behold, I guess the same evidence, he's convicted of second-degree murder. Well, double jeopardy doesn't apply in Canada? It's not double jeopardy. It's, I know it's odd. You have a similar case with um, the guy, the, the athlete that's, that killed his girlfriend. So I, we don't have a double jeopardy per se. So this was just a unique case. Uh, and, and just like very much in America, how you see some people get out, despite legally you would think they would never be able to get out when there's certain pressure from the media, we'll say, this is a kind of case where there was an for once there was some outrage. People at, in retrospect went, "What? What the hell went on here that he's released in a few when, months for something when, that's when, obviously murder?" When you write about Stir Fry Boy, what is going to be your point of view here? Well, my point of view is that it's the psychiatric again pet project that they have to prove that these drugs are miracle drugs. I'll dig as deep down as possible to show the examples of this is not good for the, the schizophrenic. I mean, schizophrenic, uh, a society of schizophrenics defended this. Schizophrenics don't have anything to do with this. This is a killer who happens to have schizophrenia or whatever other mental illness you want to ascribe to him. I believe, just like I do with murder, when you have the capacity to kill, I don't believe every human has the capacity to kill. They barely have the capacity to defend themselves. Separate people based on that. The U.S. does a good job of if you have the capacity to kill, you're a cold-blooded, psychopathic killer, they separate you from society if they can. <coughs> this book is going to be interesting stuff. Now, uh, one of my lesser-known books is called My Best Friend is Schizophrenic, which I wrote with Thomas uh, Hodgins. Did a lot of research on schizophrenia for that book. As they say, the not all schizophrenics, even paranoid schizophrenics, are violent. In fact, the vast majority are not violent at all. And the best right. predictor of future violent behavior is past violent behavior. That's all. Yeah, but Pearl, this guy was in seat, you know, 24B, and he hacks this guy to death in front of everybody. Yes, screaming, kill me, kill me. Screaming, whatever. I mean, did it. And then he starts, uh, you know, taking off parts of the body. This is a gruesome... Oh, I know. This is a horror, absolutely horrifying. Yeah, this happened. Of course. And now he's in a, in, a, uh, in, a, uh, in a home under a different name, Free, is ridiculous. Well, they could have granted... I guess they can't grant his wish and kill him. Well, th no. The, the thing is, is uh, and I don't care what attorney he gets, you know. Uh, thank you. It's it's just I am I did not know we were going here, and I'm fascinated by this story, and I'm sure Canadians are fascinated by this story. And this book's going to you know cross the. Well, I think he's not going to doesn't want to do a whole big book on this, do you? 
Well, the thing is, like I say, these these are audio. A lot of people are listening to like our podcast, Burl. You're yours and Howard's and your true crime uncensored. People are listening to it, and a lot of people then go when you have any of the guests, your books. They're looking for audio books. So I think that I think what I'd like to do is is do a lot of like audio versions of these things, so that a lot of this my outrage is is contained in there. I think you know, and and the opinion is in there, and I think when people don't mind people talking about those stories in that way even a little bit of sarcasm when you re- when you hear me talk about this you can't be but sarcastic at the when you hear the luca Mag- uh, pardon me the psychiatrist at trial for this vincent lee it's unbelievable he didn't ha- he didn't know what he was doing didn't know right from wrong they they say that for all of these guys for the for the doctor who stabbed his kids they testify on the 20 years of testifying. No, he didn't know right from wrong. You know, so it's, again, so, it's, it's almost an indictment of psychiatry, of the media, society. Yeah. That as much as we think Canada's great, and it's great in a lot of ways, yep. it's wrong oh, in this, this is, area. Uh, this in healthcare. Let's talk about it. But it's, it's uh, let's go back to Montreal. The second, he, so he gets second degree, he's convicted of second degree murder. Mm-hmm. And what was his sentence? Well, you get this, they say, automatic life sentence, but it isn't. It's, uh, they, they set the parole uh, eligibility at a minimum, and normally you, you, you're basically going to be getting parole around that time. So it's 25 years to life on a second degree, or, or pardon me, 25 at the, is the max, basically, and so you can get 12 years before eligibility. I think his was, was 16 or 17 years before parole eligibility. But like Mark said, it's... Even for Canada, it's very unusual that you would be deemed insane and then retried for uh, murder. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's definitely never, ever happened. Dan, this, is, this was a massive pleasure for me to yeah. uh, to talk to you. And uh, someday you'll maybe make a trip south and join us in the studio. And I'd sure love to have you back with us here. Uh, and uh, let, let's talk about his show, uh, True Murder. You just you know it's on Blog Talk Radio, and uh, if you're on Facebook, you can go to Dan Zupanski ends with a Y, and uh, he'll keep you posted. You can go to Blog Talk uh, Radio also and ask to be reminded listen anytime it, one of his uh, shows to, is on. Listen to it all you want, but always remember, True Crime Uncensored, the number one true crime <laughs> show. That's right. Live. Live from our secret bunker. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dan. Hey, bro. What? What's next? A magic man out on the deepest of decadence. Live at OutlawRadioUSA.com.